Welcome back to Sideline Exposure. I am your host, Mitchell Croston, and this is part two of Exposure 108. So we are still sticking with USC, but this week we're taking a look at the investigation, the scandal, and pretty much what started that downfall of USC football. You go from being a premier power, one of, if not the, and probably the top college football program in the country, all of a sudden you take a deep dive. So what really went on? with that investigation, and what did the NCAA find? So let's go ahead and dive right on in. USC was investigated and punished, plain and simple for breaking NCAA violations. Their sanctions were officially announced in June of 2020, which affected the football, men's basketball, and women's tennis programs. Notable sanctions for the football team included postseason bans for two years, loss of 30 scholarships for three years, and vacating old wins, which consisted of 14 wins total. This included USC's victory in the 2005 Orange Bowl, which won them the national championship that year, and then the 2006 appearance in the BCS national championship, and eventually disassociating with star running back Reggie Bush. So we won't discuss the sanctions and troubles with the basketball program and tennis program too much, but we'll just briefly touch on it so you get the whole picture. The NCAA and USC Athletic Department found evidence that star running back Reggie Bush and basketball star O.J. Mayo accepted gifts from agents, thus forfeiting their amateur status at that time. Now, in regards to the women's tennis team, what was cited in the report was that there was an unauthorized phone call, not just one, but multiple, by a former player, and that may not seem like a big deal and we're not going to spend too much time on it. But there are a lot of rules, there are blackout dates, there are gray areas. You can't just do what you want. And while it may seem like it's something that's small or not a big deal, you have to be very careful with the NCAA. So I went back and took a look at an article written by ESPN writer Kevin Gemmel in 2015. And he actually went on to provide a timeline of the downfall of USC, which he thinks all started with a loss to Texas in the BCS National Championship game at the Rose Bowl in January 2006. So if you think back and remember this game, this was regarded as, and still is regarded as, the best college football game ever played. You have you know, the huge dynasty with what Pete Carroll's building with USC, and then you have Texas and Vince Young, who a lot of people thought was the best player in the country at that point in time. And while... USC was still the top premier program in the modern-day power. They went on to lose that game, and Texas was able to bring home the national championship. But later on in that year, in April 2006, the NCAA officially began its investigation of USC, and this would go on to last for about four years. And we'll get into more of the details here in a minute, but Pete Carroll goes on to leave USC on January 11, 2010, taking that Seattle Seahawks job. So he got out of town while he could. The very next day on January 12th, USC went on to hire Lane Kiffin, and he was a former assistant to Pete Carroll in the past. Kiffin was hired after only spending one year coaching as the head coach at Tennessee. And then in June of 2010, the NCAA pretty much came out and said that USC showed a lack of institutional control, specifically referencing Reggie Bush and OJ Mayo, the basketball star. In July in 2010, things are really starting to fall apart for USC now, and a lot of turnover was expected. 
athletic director Mike Garrett was fired, and new AD Pat Hayden was hired on. Later on in the year, in September, Reggie Bush announced that he would return his Heisman Trophy to the Heisman Trust, which had never happened before. I went back and took another look at a different article from ESPN, but this was written in June of 2010 as everything was currently falling apart for the Trojans. In this article, it was referenced that the NCAA said that Reggie Bush received pretty lavish gifts from two sports marketers that were really hoping to sign Reggie Bush once he turned pro. These gifts stemmed from hotel stays and a rent-free home where Bush's family apparently had lived in. There was also a limousine and a new suit thrown in as he was on his way to receive his Heisman Trophy. In a more recent article written last year by Adam Wells, who was affiliated with Bleacher Report, went on to point out that while the announcements of the NIL and name, image, and likeness is great for the sport, it's had an effect on Reggie Bush still to this day. So he went on to include in this article a tweet from Reggie, who went on to say that I never cheated the game. That was what they wanted you to believe about me, end quote. And really, the NCAA didn't even start their investigation into Reggie Bush's involvement in receiving gifts and financial payouts and things of that nature until he had left USC for the NFL. And so not only did Bush have to give back his Heisman Trophy to the Heisman Trust, but USC disassociated itself from Bush completely after the NCAA hammered them with sanctions. Then in June of 2020, USC actually went on to end their disassociation with Reggie Bush. And that was definitely a weight off of Reggie's shoulders, who's someone that still holds pride in going to USC. And we all know that he's not in the league anymore. He's on the Fox Sports College Football Panel, which is a really good show. And that's just a great outlet for him and a way for him to further his career off the football field. But the last thing that he wants to get back is his Heisman Trophy. And we'll see over the next couple of years. We don't know how long it'll really take, but at some point, I think he's going to get that back. But after Reggie had returned his Heisman Trophy, some actually thought that Texas quarterback Vince Young should receive this award since he did finish second in the voting to Reggie at the time. But that's a ridiculous statement. It, it's You don't just give the award to someone else just because the guy that won it had to return it for whatever reason. Everybody knows that Reggie Bush is still the best running back in the country, the best player in the country, and the award was his rightfully. Though technically Reggie didn't win, everybody knows that he was one of the best running backs ever, and unfortunately for him, no Heisman player in the history of the Heisman Trophy has ever had to return this award, and Reggie now has to carry this on his permanent football record. But when you put that off to the side and take a look at his Heisman record-breaking season, in 2005, he carried the ball 200 times for 1,740 yards and 16 touchdowns. And not only did he have the numbers, but he was the most electrifying player in the country. He was the most valuable player. He was, frankly, the best player in the country and was really, indeed, ahead of his time and his peers couldn't catch up to him. Now, while I may not agree with these consequences and lack of NAL ability back in the early 2000s. At the end of the day, the rules are the rules. And as soon as Reggie benefited or accepted any of these gifts or financial well-beings, he had immediately forfeited his amateur status, whether or not he had known that. 
So let's go into exactly what this means so that everybody's on the same page. So if you go on the NCAA website, they have a definition of amateurism on there. Quote, an amateurism certification is required by the NCAA for participation in Division I or Division II sports. When you register with the NCAA Eligibility Center, you are asked a series of questions about your sports participation to determine your amateur status. An amateur, as typically defined by the NCAA, is someone who does not have a written or verbal agreement with an agent, has not profited above his or her actual and necessary expenses, or gained a competitive advantage in his or her sport, end quote. The NCAA takes the word student-athlete very seriously and consistently reinforces time and time again that the student comes before the athlete at the college level. They also like to emphasize the need for balance in a student-athlete's life, highlighting the pursuit of quote-unquote academic excellence with college athletics really being more of a hobby than anything else. I think it's a pretty well-known fact now that pretty much everybody is against the NCAA, and it's not that you don't flat-out agree with anything that they do or dislike them, but it's the fact that they have refused to change, and they have had time and time again over many years to adjust, and they haven't done it. And the government and local governments have had to step in And that's the whole reason why NIL is a thing and why college athletes are able to finally benefit off their likeness. And we won't spend too much time on it right now, but the NCAA, it's incredible how college sports pull in tremendous amounts of money. You could even just look at one spectacle, just March Madness, which is huge. People are betting on games. TV programs are trying to get this on their stations. It is huge, and that's just one thing. So there's a ton of money in college athletics, and at this point, when you're a college athlete, if you can try to benefit off your likeness, it should be something that you can say yes or no to. If you want to appear in a commercial, you should be able to say yes. If you want to be able to receive a gift, you should be able to say yes or no to receiving that gift, and you're finally able to do that with the NIL. But at the time when this wasn't an option, even small gifts could get you in trouble. So hypothetically, let's say that Reggie in 2005 went to a McDonald's and the store manager there recognized him and just comped his meal for free, being that he's a USC football fan and recognized who Reggie Bush was. If you put yourself in this position, you would probably just say thank you and move on. But if you're Reggie Bush and you accept this in this situation, This is a violation of NCAA rules. Now, it kind of sounds silly now, but that's because it is silly. And that's what people have been preaching to the choir for such a long time. And now you can finally benefit off your likeness. But that's just one example. Another example is if you go to a basketball game and let's say you win $15,000 for making a half court shot, you can't accept these funds either. And this all stems from breaking the amateurism status. Since 2021, and now that NIL has been put into effect, and collegiate athletes can now benefit off their own name, image, and likeness, people don't always know what this means. So, really, you could look at it it's like, hey, you know what, I'm on, I'm on the football team, I want to run my own football camp in the summer and charge $100 per camper. This rule in NIL now allows you to do that. 
If you want to appear in a commercial for Beats by Dre or Bose, something like that, you can do that too, and that's all allowed. Previously, you couldn't do that. People say it's kind of silly, and that's the whole point of NAL. This is something that's been long overdue, and I'm glad that we're finally at this point with collegiate athletes, especially for the high-profile players at the basketball level, football level, guys who almost hit that celebrity status at a big-time school. Now, I don't think we're at a point yet where collegiate athletes should actually get paid for their competition, and I think that's a different story, but we seem to be trending in that direction, and this is pretty much as close as you can get with NIL without actually receiving payment for playing in your game or match, etc. Now, that's enough NIL talk for now. Let's go ahead and circle back to USC. So at the time that these sanctions were announced, it was split between some people criticizing this and some people were actually being in favor of this. ESPN's Ted Miller went on to suggest that these sanctions had more to do with objections to the football culture at USC rather than the non-compliance with NCAA rules. According to Miller, he was chatting with an administrator from another major football program outside the Pac-12, and he actually agreed with Miller. This administrator and his colleagues thought that USC got screwed and that the NCAA was really pulling more of a power move trying to scare everybody with their ruling, pretty much just telling everyone that we are still the ones in charge, we make the rules, and we can do what we want. At this point, USC was starting to become more Hollywood under Pete Carroll's direction. They had open access to the media during their practice, whereas other teams and programs had this access closed or very limited. And they also had the presence of big-time celebrities such as Snoop Dogg and Will Ferrell, that would show up to practices and games, which kind of leads to an unfair recruiting advantage for the Trojans. Now, these kind of things aren't technically against the rules, but they don't sit well in most people's eyes and definitely don't sit well with the NCAA. You could argue that you know USC, Southern California, they're just taking advantage of the access and the benefits they get from being in a city and a part of the country that is littered with celebrities, but it's still not a good look for the program. And especially nowadays, you really got to be careful with that kind of thing because people can look back at this investigation with USC and say, we don't want to encounter this again. But at this point, some people really thought that USC was being punished just for being USC. So let's fast forward a couple of years to February, 2014. Pete Carroll actually came back to campus at USC and gave a talk. And he started talking about these sanctions and went on to say, quote, I thought that the NCAA's investigation into USC was dealt with poorly and very irrationally and done with way too much emotion instead of facts. I sat in the meetings. I listened to the people talk. I listened to the venom that they had for our program. They tried to make it out like it was something else. And they made a terrible error, end quote. So really... And looking into this, maybe USC was sanctioned more than they should have been. I feel like the NCAA can be petty at times. And we took a look at some of the other sanctions that have hit college football. So the NCAA has opened many investigations across multiple programs. And to note one of them, this included the University of Miami and the University of Oregon. 
they were investigated both for recruiting violations. I don't think hearing about investigations to either of these two programs is really that much of a surprise, especially for the Miami Hurricanes, and that'll be a separate pod, maybe a two-parter that I'll have to circle back from. But funny enough, this scandal to USC was compared to one of the investigations that went through the University of Miami. So let's pull in some info with this. There's a man that goes by the name of Paul D. He was on the Committee of Infractions and was the chairman for USC's NCAA investigation. It was D who announced the penalties and sanctions for USC at the, the, at the end of the day. Accusations had later came out that Miami had also been at the center of receiving major improper benefits, while Paul D. was the athletic director at the University of Miami. So really at this point, this seemed pretty hypocritical, as Miami received much more lenient punishments comparative to USC. This is despite Miami committing some more serious infractions through university employees over time, especially in connection with a high-profile booster, Nevin Shapiro, being involved in this over eight years, which lasted from 2002 to 2010. So let's look look back at another scandal and investigation that took place, which was with Penn State in 2014. So they had received some sanctions and had their whole name tarnished as a university due to the child sex abuse scandal. And part of these sanctions included a four-year ban to the postseason and a loss of 40 scholarships. But these sanctions were significantly reduced after only two years. USC had actually petitioned to do something similar, but they were denied by the NCAA. Media and fans continued to point out that there just seemed to be a bias against USC and the full star power that they had in Southern California. Now, here's one thing that you may not know about this investigation. But in June of 2011, Todd McNair was the running back's assistant coach. He had actually gone to sue the NCAA claiming that their investigation was one-sided and stated that his future earnings were impaired by the report, scandal, and sanctions against the USC Trojans. In this report, the NCAA had actually determined that McNair lied about knowing some of the gifts that were provided to Reggie Bush and his family, which I don't know for sure whether or not that's happened, but that would make sense, right? With McNair being an assistant coach, to the running backs, Reggie Bush being a running back. It also seems like assistant coaches at times can develop an even better relationship with their players and maybe like the head coach or head coach of the position just because you are usually closer in age, usually develop that rapport, and you kind of hear a little bit more of the extracurriculars that are going on. But then we fast forward to November 2012. This went to the Los Angeles Superior Court where Judge Frederick Schaller ruled that the NCAA was malicious in its investigation of McNair. And as part of his ruling, Judge Schaller stated that emails between A, an investigative committee member, an NCAA employee, and another person who worked in the appeals division tended to show some sort of ill will or hatred towards McNair. And apparently there is an email out there with one NCAA staffer calling McNair a, quote, lying, morally bankrupt criminal, and in my view, a hypocrite of the highest order, end quote. So, 
Yikes. This, these are tough words from the NCAA to an assistant running backs coach. And eventually, after about 10 years of back and forth between talk of sealing and unsealing the entire inquiry to McNair, McNair and the NCAA went on to settle through mediation, but the financial terms were not disclosed. Okay, so that is going to do it for this week's episode of Sideline Exposure. Thank you for joining us today. Hopefully you've learned something. Hopefully you, you know, if you're a student of the game or a historian of college football, that you were able to learn something new about this investigation into USC and what really started that downfall of a truly premier program. In other news regarding SE, we are actually currently working on a little home office studio set up and with the goal to start recording these pods on video and actually posting some video content. So that's something that we are very excited about and wanted to let you guys know that that's something you can expect on your end. We'll start working on timing. We're still working on, you know, getting everything set up here in the studio. So timing is to be determined, but you can stay up to date with us on our social media, watching out for announcements like this as we determine a better timeline. So you can follow us on Twitter at Silent Expose, and then on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Silent Exposure. We always appreciate ratings and reviews. You guys are awesome about that, and those are very much appreciated, so thank you. And stay tuned for more announcements coming your way through our social media and for more episodes dropping to you every Sunday. Thank you for listening.